Well, to begin a new year, can you imagine a scene from the Bible with me? It's from the book of Joshua, chapter 23 and 24. It's the end of Joshua's life, and it's the end of the first phase of what's called the conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land. Joshua knows that soon he will die, and he gathers all of the nation of Israel into a mountain valley, surrounded on different sides with different mountains, and centered around the city of Shechem, where at that time the temple, the tabernacle of God, resided. And this is basically a farewell address. We find it in Joshua 24. You could go ahead and open your Bibles there. It's a pretty stunning scene, if you can imagine it. Hundreds of thousands of people lining the valley floor and up onto the sides of the mountain ranges. And they hear Joshua speak. We don't really know how. It's possible somehow the, there was the amplification of a natural amphitheater there, but we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. So perhaps what he said was carried through the crowd with assigned messengers. It's also possible that God powerfully, miraculously magnified his voice because God did that kind of thing for his people Israel under the theocratic kingdom of God and what we call the Old Testament. One way or another, if you take time later to read Joshua 24, you'll find that Joshua begins with the story of how God delivered his people, especially how he delivered them, the nation of Israel, how he delivered them out of Egypt and through the wilderness against all of those who attacked and who, who maligned them. And then because of the deep sinful immorality of the nations of Canaan called the Amorites as a general term, how God gave the land of Canaan, took it from the hand of the Amorites and gave it into the hand of Israel and grievously judged the nations of Canaan because of their immorality, implied in Genesis that it was 400 years of built-up immorality against God. And so you have cycles in chapter 24, cycles of God's kind grace to people, and we know these people if we've read our Bibles, people who sometimes didn't deserve His grace. After all, that's what grace is. Grace is never deserved. And yet God was kind to them, and God had shown them His goodness over and over again. You can even go back into chapter 23 and find there, as Joshua is speaking to the leaders of the nation, not the entire nation, but there he emphasizes the goodness of their God. So with that as a backdrop, we come to a very familiar passage. I dare say a whole bunch of you have this passage in a plaque up in your house somewhere. So you know what I'm going to preach for you this morning. But we're in Joshua 24, and we begin in verse 14. And so let's just read the entire text. And as we read, try to imagine the scene in your mind as the people of God hear their leader, who's now an old, old man, and he's ready to die, and he gives them one last charge. This is God's word for us today. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14. Joshua says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, 
For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your ear to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Quite a scene. Farewell words from a leader. And Joshua knows his people. Remember, he had tromped out of Egypt with their parents, right? Uh, he, he, He had dealt with this generation, their parents, through the wilderness. He had seen their disobedience. He had seen their lack of faith, and he had seen them all die in the wilderness. Only he and Caleb entered the promised land. These were indeed their parents' children. They were prone to forget. And the reason I'm pausing this morning and going back into the Older Testament and taking time on New Year's Day is because we're prone to forget too. We have experienced the same kind of goodness that the nation of Israel received from the hand of their God. We have received that same kind of goodness from their God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet every single one of us were prone to forget. We get into a routine or we face a crisis, one or the other, and we sometimes forget what our good God has done. We are forgetful people. We lose focus, we, we get distracted, we are drawn away, we become stale, we become cold and calloused, maybe even coming through a Christmas season when we give so much attention to the Savior being born, we find our hearts cold. We've heard it all before. We too need reminders. We need a, a wake-up call. We, we, we need a like in the middle of a big game where there's a, a game on the line, we need to huddle up. We need to, to remind ourselves why we're here and what we're about and what our strategy will be. And that's exactly what Joshua did before his death for his people. And we have a record of it. And even though we're not in a nation the way Israel was, even though there's not a theocratic rule the way there was in the people of Israel under the Old Covenant, we still need to recognize that this is our God and that He has called us. And so this morning on the first day of the year, let me be Joshua for you, all right? We've gathered together, not in a great mountain range, but there is this great gulf fixed in this middle aisle between us, all right? And I want us to listen to the words of Joshua, and I want us to apply them to our lives. The New Testament says that these things happen to be examples for us. So let this be an example for us. 
as Jesus followers, we gather together, we want to be reminded today. And so as Jesus followers, like God's older covenant people Israel, first of all, we have choices to make. We always have choices to make. We, we, we need to recognize that, as it says back in verse 14, it says, fear the Lord and serve Him. It says, put away the gods that your fathers served. It says, choose this day whom you will serve. Fence-sitting is never a valid option for the people of God. You know, it's fascinating. I, I don't see how. The, the, the reference beyond the river, when we read it isolated in Joshua, we think, well, this is the River Jordan, and they were worshiping some false gods in the desert. That's not the context. If you go back and read chapter 23 and 24, it's beyond the river Euphrates. So it's back, he's talking about the gods that Abraham's family worshiped. And evidently, some of them were still clinging to their heritage. They were still clinging to this, this idolatry. Maybe a lot of scholars think that they were like tokens. They were almost like keepsakes. They were household gods that families, in spite of God's hatred of, of, of idolatry, that they had carried these keepsakes through generations, because this was generations ago. Maybe it was just that they reflected back on the, the attractiveness of idolatry, and clearly not only is the concern about the gods from on the other side of the river back when Abraham was called, but also the gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, because it was a rather sophisticated culture. These were former slaves who had wandered through the desert, and now they were established in the land, and the culture and sophistication of Canaan was appealing to them. We don't really know all that was going on, but evidently this tendency toward idolatry of putting something else before their God, it was still attractive, it was still a problem. And so Joshua says, listen, you've got choices to make. Maybe you're carrying around these household gods, these traditions. Maybe you're enamored and seduced away by the attractiveness and the sophistication of the culture around you. Whichever it is, you've got to choose. You need to serve and fear the Lord. You need to choose this day who you will serve. And you've likely heard before, especially in the Old Testament, the idea of serving and worship are essentially synonyms. What you serve is what you worship. What you worship is what you serve. So it's an idea of worship. And the odd thing is that even in Canaan, there is this sense in which they should still see themselves as outsiders. They should still see themselves as, as living on the outside of the culture around them. And even as a nation, God's intention was to all the other nations of the known world at that time were to look upon them and recognize the distinctiveness. And a lot of us are uncomfortable with this. We don't want to be the excluded ones. We don't want to be the ones on the outside. There's a phrase that's used in sociology and religion, the cultured despisers. And that's a real factor today. The, the elite in our society that look down on people who still believe the Bible. The cultured despisers, they surround us today. But what Joshua would say is, listen, you better choose. Who will you serve? Who will you fear? Whom will you worship? These are all hard issues, by the way. Here's what happens. We, we all jump to behavior. In fact, some of us have even been in churches where we jump to things like dress or things like externals. But it all begins in the heart. An issue of, of what we care about most inside of what we treasure. And 
Even though we are redeemed by Jesus, we still have choices to make. Is it possible that we need to eliminate some aspects of our lives to which we give too much attention? Is it possible here on this New Year's Day that we need to recognize that there are particular elements in our individual lives where we tend to serve and fear and worship something other than the God of heaven? Is this you? Are you holding on to old traditions for sentiment's sake? Or are you infatuated with this world system? It is seductive, isn't it? Even with all of its folly and all of its immorality that we know is not right, it's still seducing to try to find approval. It's still appealing to try to position ourselves so that no one looks down on us. No one would call us that most offensive of accusations and criticisms. We'd never want to be called a fundamentalist. And yet we have to choose. We have to choose this day who we will serve. And you know what? It's an everyday prospect. Remember the passage we read earlier from Romans? That we are to be renewed in our minds and if we are not renewed in our minds, what will happen? Romans 12, 2, we will be conformed to this world. So the key to not being conformed to this world is to have our minds renewed. And that, for the sake of our discussion this morning and what I'll show you in the rest of the message, it begins with the fact that we have choices to make. And I'm going to suggest to you that it's a daily choice. It's not like you're going to decide on New Year's Day and you can coast for 365 days. It doesn't work that way. You know that. It's really a daily choice. We have choices to make. Get off the fence. We also have examples to follow. That most famous portion of this text is in verse 15. Do you see it there? It says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You recognize what this is. It's, it's somewhat understated. It's implicit. But basically, it's a bold call by Joshua that he says, follow me. Do as I do. No, no matter what you decide, Joshua is saying, our family is committed. We have made this decision. We've made this choice. And essentially, he's saying to his people, you can watch us and follow us and follow our example. We follow the God of heaven, but here's an example of what that looks like. It's as though he's saying, let, let, let me just paraphrase, paraphrase Joshua for a minute. Let me flesh this out. Joshua was saying, whatever decision you make, whatever others do, be assured of one thing. We are firm in our resolve. We're casting our lot with Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord who humiliated the gods of Egypt with ten plagues, who parted the Red Sea with the breath of his nostrils, who delivered quail, manna, and water in the wilderness for 40 years, who dammed up the flooded Jordan at just the right moment, who shouted down the walls of Jericho. That's what he's saying. He's saying, whom will you put your trust in? Who will you count on? Who will you serve? Do you get what he's asking them? He's saying, will you serve those wooden and stone idols you've carted, the hand-me-downs that should have been let go in the estate sale, and you've kept them? What have they ever accomplished for you? He's saying, what about the gods of this land in 
whom we dwell now. How powerful were the idols of Jericho when we blew the trumpets and the walls fell down? He's saying to them, how competent were the gods of Ai once we got our spiritual act together and got rid of sin in the camp? You remember how God delivered Ai into our hands? He's saying, how divine can they be when we've pushed them out of their land into the sea? Joshua's saying, will you count on them? Is that where your confidence lies? And then he says, he says, as for us, my wife, my children, our servants, we choose to serve, to worship, and to love Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. Follow our example. You know, practically speaking, every one of us can use a Joshua to follow. I hope you have somebody in your life that you have enough confidence in that you say, I want my spiritual growth in 2023 to look like their life as they continue to grow. Someone who has said to you, whether they verbally said it or whether in their investment in your life they've said, as for me and my house, this is how we'll we'll live, so follow me. But you know what? Each of us also has an opportunity to say that to someone else. Every one of us should have someone in our lives that we're farther along the journey than they are, and we should be willing to make this sobering commitment to turn to them and say, as for me and my house, you can follow us because this is how we're going to live. We all need a Joshua. We all need to be a Joshua to someone else. We have examples to follow. Now, Joshua makes this challenge. He says, we've got choices to make. We've got examples for you to follow. And the people respond. They basically say, far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord, remember? And then verse 17 and 18, they recite all the things that the Lord has done. In verse 18, it says, therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And this is the place where Joshua should give the altar call. This is the place where he says, I've got them right where I want them. They're ready to make a commitment, right? I mean, that's, that's basically what's going on here. But he doesn't do that. Did you notice as we read? He said, you're not going to do this. I've never seen that happen in an altar call. People come down the altar and the preacher says, you're not really serious. But that's precisely what Joshua does. The people respond exactly like you would want them to respond. And Joshua says, nah, you're not going to do it. Because mere emotion is never sufficient for faithful obedience. It takes more than an emotional commitment. It takes more than some kind of superficial decisionalism. There's the danger of indecision. There is that danger. We've already said that. But there's also the danger of hasty, impulsive commitments that you don't count the cost. And this is the reason enthusiasm and intensity must be challenged. It's got to be confirmed and bolstered. It's got to be built upon. And that's exactly what he does. Because not only do we have choices to make and we have examples to follow, we need to be serious about it. We have warnings to heed, he says. We have warnings to heed. Look again at 19. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. By the way, stop right there. 
What he's saying is there's a huge gap. You, you say you want to serve, to worship, to fear him, but he's holy. And implicit in that, in fact, let me say explicit in that, is that there's this gap between the holy God and your best intentions. He doesn't flesh that out in the way you and I want him to. Because look at what he says. He goes on to say, this God is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Wait a minute. You and I say, what about the gospel, Joshua? Don't you understand? Haven't you read John 3.16, Joshua? He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Don't you agree with me? This is the strangest sounding language to people, especially people who are used to soft preaching. And they have this initial response, we're going to do exactly what God wants us to do. And Joshua says, no, you're not. Now let me tell you this. Any good leader is an honest leader. And he's willing to speak tough truths. I would suggest to you that's one of the desperate needs in our culture and our land today. No one is willing to say the tough things. And in the Old Testament, specifically God takes special care to demonstrate His wrath, especially His wrath against false gods and idolatry. Joshua is not here denying that God is forgiving. He knows that the God of Israel is gracious and merciful. But listen carefully. He is telling the people, God will not be mocked. And if you take on a superficial level all of the goodness of God and you profess that and you use that in order to chase after carnality and false gods and your own fulfillment... God will have nothing to do with you. This is high-handed sin. This is the reason we need to be serious. Even in our preaching and even in our evangelism, we need to be serious. One commentator says, don't lightly mouth your profession of faith. Make sure it comes from your heart. So what Joshua is saying here, we all know it. This is basically law and gospel. It's the law which leaves us short, and then the gospel which gives us hope and promise. In and of themselves, the people of Israel were incapable of keeping their commitments. That We know that. That's the gospel. We are sinners. There's this gap between the holiness of God and our own best intentions. There's still this gap. And that's the reason we have the glorious gospel. And we know, and even Joshua and the people of Israel recognize to some sense that God acknowledges this gap and bridges the gap through faith, through, through repentance, through putting your hope and faith under the old covenant in the God who saves. And we now know how that all comes about because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die, the Lamb of God. And so we understand that this gap is bridged by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the great problems is that we forget that, and our culture forgets it. And they have such a low view of God that they think, yeah, I'll just do my best and God will be satisfied. And what Joshua wants to tell our culture and what's he want, what he wants even to remind us when we think about the gospel is you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. We would say in the sense of a New Testament context, we need the Holy Spirit. 
We need the provisions of God. We need the kinds of things we're talking about this morning because left to ourselves, you know what we'll do? We'll worship the gods from the other side of the river. We'll worship the gods of the Amorites from the culture around us. It's a warning to heed. And so even for gospel people, for you and me today, 2,000 years after Jesus came and lived and died and resurrected, these promises of God's faithfulness, they're not only an encouragement, but they're also a caution. His faithfulness cuts both ways, and that's the reason there's a warning. God is faithful. Ultimately, He is faithful to Himself, and that means that He will faithfully love us, but He will also faithfully challenge us and discipline us. He loves us as a father who is so faithful that he will not allow us to go on in disobedience and sin. Our friend Charles Spurgeon said it this way, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And so, therefore, there's a warning that we need to heed. And as a pastor, I just have to do this. I just have to say, in our lives, when the wheels come off, we need to do some investigation. Because, think of, let me say it this way, we have the book of Job, and the book of Job tells us that when bad stuff happens, it's not necessarily because we're sinning and we're guilty, right? But we also have the book of Judges, and the book of Judges says that if we persist in rebellion, we persist in our own way, even though we're God's children, God will bring consequences. Some of us live in the book of Judges, and we need to get our eyes on the gospel and recognize not every trouble that comes our way is our fault. But let me be honest with you. Some of us also live in the book of Job, and God keeps sending wake-up calls into our lives. And we just go back to Job and say, well, it's not my fault. We have both Job and Judges. There's a warning to heed. And then... There are also commitments to renew. In verse 25, it says, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. Down in verse 26, it says, He took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord there at Shechem. You know what he's doing? He's basically setting a reminder. He's placing a milestone the way we say it in our family is he's making a memory. That's what he's doing. He's making a memory. And he's essentially saying, you've made these promises. We're solemnizing these promises. You're witnesses against yourself. This is not the first time this has happened in Joshua. And why? Because they were a forgetful people. And evidently, if you read the whole book of Joshua, you could go all the way through the promised land and you could see milestones and monuments. And they weren't monuments to a false god. They were reminders to the people of Israel about what their God had done for them. And so he has them renew their commitments. And down in verse 31, we see the results of this because verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now what happened after Joshua died and the following generations? Well, that's the book of Judges. But at least at this time, they renewed their commitments. These people evidently remembered it. Now, I don't think it's unfair 
to take the text and to apply it into our understanding in the way I'm getting ready to do. There's a very real sense that what we find in Joshua 24 is a model for God's people gathering together corporately and hearing that we have choices to make and we need examples to follow and that there are warnings that we need to heed and renewing our commitments together. We are under different circumstances for sure. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We're not the nation of Israel. But you read Joshua 24, it sounds like they've come to church. I mean, they hear a reminder of what God has done for them and they recommit themselves They renew their commitments. They hit reset. It's a huddle where they get up together and they say once again, here's where we came from. Here's where we are. And here's where we're going. And all of them say together, we'll go together. We make this commitment to the God of heaven. We make this commitment to one another. That's what the gathering of the church is about every single Lord's Day. It's the reason it's important. I'm not going to scold you people for coming to church on Sunday because you're here on New Year's Day, all right? I won't do that. But the truth of the matter, there's rich value in this. It's not just an empty ritual. It reflects this kind of covenant commitment renewal. We do this every Lord's Day when we sing our songs together and when we read the Word together and when we pray together. Even when we fellowship out in the aisle together, we are essentially saying we are in this together. We recognize that there are choices that we'll have to make. We know that we need examples. Some of us can be examples for one another. We recognize there are warnings, and we know that there are commitments to renew. And so we come together every Sunday. We rejoice in gospel blessings, and we rehearse gospel truths, and we remember gospel promises, and we renew gospel commitments. Listen, it's the first day of the year. Too many of us think in terms of resolutions. What we really need are we need rhythms. We need consistent, faithful rhythms. And that begins, it begins in our individual lives for sure, but corporately it begins with the people of God coming together every seven days and hitting reset and renewing our commitments together. So that's Joshua's message for Calvary Baptist of Santa Barbara as we open 2023. There will be a cost. Following Jesus is never merely casual. It's not an extracurricular add-on. It's not an optional elective in life. There's a cost to count. There's a price to pay. We need to get off the fence. We need to throw away our worldly idols. We need to recognize that culture despisers will never understand or approve of us. And all along the way, we need to walk with Jesus and see it as a radical commitment that we renew every single day, but especially corporately every Lord's Day. And you know what? This affects the way we live, the way we really live. Not just the way we show up on Sunday and kind of cleaned up and we're, you know, we're acting our best and we're manifesting our best, but I'm talking about every day. Spouses, it means sacrificing our own wants and desires for the needs of our wife or our husband. Parents, it means enthusiastically equipping your children, not so much for success, but for mission. 
Because they're here the same reason we're here. We're here to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. Young people, students, it means sacrificing perhaps your popularity to be identified with Jesus. Men, it means foregoing promotions at work because of integrity or family priorities. Women, it means reevaluating your friendships because sometimes our friendships are poor influences for gospel purposes. Whether this is the first time or the thousandth time, every day is a new choice. Every day is a new opportunity to make better choices, to follow examples, to heed warnings, and renew our commitments. Here's your new, new Year takeaway this morning. On the first day, the first Sunday of a new year, as for us, whom will we serve? Whom will we worship? Whom will we fear today and all through this year? And I remind you, as I probably do too often, the words of Simon Peter. You remember what he said? Jesus said, now are you going to leave too? And he said, to paraphrase him, John chapter 6, Simon says, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so today, make a choice. Seek an example. Be an example. Remember the warnings and renew your commitment. And you know, that's what this is right here. This is an opportunity for us to reset as our men are going to come forward and assist us in serving. That's what this is. We, we eat bread, and the bread represents the body of our Lord. We drink a cup, and the cup represents the blood that our Lord shed. But the very point of it is that we do it in remembrance that Jesus gave us a way to reset. He gave us a way that every time we do it, some churches do it every Sunday, some churches only do it a couple of times a year, we choose to do it on the first Sunday of every month to remind ourselves, to, to remind ourselves that we come together not on our own performance, but we come together receiving the grace of God. Because we read what Joshua said, we can't do this our own, on our own. Our God is holy and we are not. But every time we come to the table, we recognize as unworthy as we are, Nobody's worthy. That's not what the text says. We're, we don't come to the table as worthy people. We come as unworthy people. But we're to come in a worthy manner, which means we come recognizing what this represents. And what it represents is the body and the blood of our Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And every time we do it, including this morning, it's an opportunity for us to renew and reset our commitment May we be faithful. And may this make a difference in the way we live. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to the table, we want to come with an attitude of worship. We want to come with an attitude of repentance. We want to come in a worthy manner 
We recognize that none of us are worthy. None of us have lived worthy lives this week. But we come resting in the gospel that these elements represent. And to come in a worthy manner, Lord, we recognize that what it means is it means that we have no worth of our own, but that we rest in the grace that you give us through Jesus' body, through his blood. And this opportunity on this New Year's Day to partake of the elements is a way to once again to recommit, to renew our commitment. Not because it's our labor that matters, but because we want to be the people of God. And in a sense, Lord, we can say this morning as we partake of bread and we partake of a cup, we are choosing this day who we will serve. Father, help us be sober about this. Help us recognize it as a great gift. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.